welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. I'm Ryan Byron, I'll be your host for this episode. Today we have a wide-ranging discussion lined up and I'm joined by two excellent guests. First up we have Tom Warville, data scientist from OptiPro. Hi Tom, how you doing? Good, thanks Ryan. You are excited to be back for your first pod since August. I am, yep. The uh, 2017 debut of myself. Indeed, hopefully a podcast fit. (laughs) And um, completing our trio today is Chris Anderson, who I can list under author, academic, blogger, consultant and managing director of previous roles, um, which is a fair few. I imagine many listeners already be familiar with Chris's work. Hi Chris, how are you? Hi Ryan, how are you? Not bad, thank you. Uh, Welcome to Three at the Back, are you well? I'm very well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, to provide some context to that rather extensive list of titles I gave you, could you um, could you please provide the listeners with a with a very brief overview of your career, particularly in reference to the work you've done within football analytics? Right. So, football analytics is actually a relatively recent uh, undertaking of mine, professional undertaking of mine. Um, so, I'm quite old and middle aged. I used to be an academic in the U.S. I used to be what we call a quantitative social scientist. I used to study public opinion and elections, and and I work with data. As a, as a behavioral scientist trying to figure out uh, why people think what they think, why they do what they do, how they vote, and so on and so forth. Uh, so if you, if you read 538.com, that was sort of my bread and butter as a social scientist. And then at some point, um, my, my wife brought me home. This is a very common story, I think, in our field. My wife brought me home a copy of Moneyball by Michael Lewis, and I read it. And I thought, this is kind of interesting. Um, and I wonder if people in... in well, at the time I called it soccer, we're doing this, um, and football, we're doing this sort of thing. So I got into it as a hobby and started a blog, and that blog then sort of morphed into a bit of, an, not an obsession, I would say, but really a lot of fun. I spent a lot of time with it, and the blog got me connected to people in English football, and I started to uh, get to know and work a little bit with people in, in football clubs. That blog then became a co-authored book, The Numbers Game with Dave Sally, who literally is a neighbor of mine uh, in Ithaca, New York, down the street, a really super smart and nice economist. And yeah, from the blog to the book, that became a consulting business eventually. It opened up some really interesting doors to doing uh, more and more work in football, which then brought me to London. And uh, so I've been living here uh, and been doing consulting work in, in the football industry. Eventually, I was approached if I wanted to um, work with a uh, football club uh, so I, I did that for a little while and I was managing director of Coventry City for about a year and uh, yeah now I'm back to the consulting. That's a, it's a really nice journey the way it sort of structures right from the academic start through through to that professional club and you can see the different stages of the journey it's mapped out really nicely there so I think we'll start by talking about your work closely to professional teams and and how you've gone about that and initially where you see perhaps statistical analysis best used within the game at at various levels. I think that's a really great question. I think it's a really important question. Um, I think there's sort of a generic answer that um, I think using more information is better than using less information. So I generally am of the attitude. um, There's a lot of inefficiencies in football generally and I think if we can bring good information to bear uh, on the decisions that we're trying to make, whether to sign a player, whether to play a certain way, um, how to prevent injuries and so on. I think there's a variety of areas in which we could and should use information. Um, That information can be quantifiable information, right? That can can come in the form of data and Excel sheets, but it can, of course, also be uh, collected opinions of scouts, for instance, right? Um, So for me, this is not really about data as it is so much about the use, the best use of information in football. When people ask me that question, uh, I get asked that question quite a bit, sort of where do you see 
the biggest payoff, the best use of data? I generally say it depends a little bit on, on who you are as a football club and how you're set up. I think one of the things you realize very quickly when you start working in, in the football industry is that to some extent all clubs are alike. They all need to put on games, they all need to sign players, they all need to uh, play and win games, uh, there's coaching that happens and what have you. Um, but in a very fundamental way, they're also very different. They're quite idiosyncratic. Uh, they're very small businesses in a way, um, relative to, you know, Tesco and what have you. And because they're relatively small businesses, it very much depends on who's working in any one club, doing what particular thing in any one club, uh, what resources they've devoted to certain roles, certain functions in the club, and the extent to which people inside those clubs who are already there are able to make the best use of data. So um, so I, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying there's no one-size-fits-all. I think you never create a new club from scratch when you're introducing, uh, say, data or analytical tools into a football club environment. You're always introducing it into an environment that already has a way of working. It already has a culture. It has a hierarchy. It has a set of personalities. And all of those influence then where you might get the biggest payoff. So I'll give, give you an example. Oftentimes, coaches and managers are very receptive to the use of data when it comes to fitness and injury prevention. It's something that they can easily get their head around. It's something they can easily understand. Every manager wants their guys to be as fit as possible, to be ready for selection. So using science, using data, using analytical tools in that, in that environment, uh, in, in, in that area of the football club makes total sense to them. You're sort of running into open doors. There are other areas of the football club maybe where uh, people are much more used to taking a more qualitative approach, say let's call it match, match prep, where the use of data isn't as easily um, uh, incorporated into an existing working environment, into an existing process that they have set up for getting ready uh, for games. So it depends very much on, on, on which club we're talking about. Excellent. And we'll pick up on the on the match preparation side. So that could be either how you prepare your own team or looking at scouting an upcoming opponent. And in, mm-hmm. I suppose the key, particularly with opposition analysis, would be combining that statistical analysis and the data you have alongside the more qualitative work and the experts in the field. Is that something that you've, you perhaps agree with? I, I do. I think generally um, you would... I'm generally a proponent of using as much information as you can. So... There's different kinds of information that we glean by going to a game and, and watching our opposition. Uh, there's things you, you'll see with your eyes that will never be ca- captured by well, uh, a, a prefab data set that you get um, off the shelf. So information about how players behave during warm-up, um, how they communicate with each other, uh, body language on, on the pitch. Um, those, those are things that are easily picked up by an experienced eye shall we say, um, when, when you go and watch games, um, it's not something that's easily manufactured in a data set. So to me, that's important information, perhaps, or could be relevant information. When you're looking to sign a player, for instance, or trying to figure out what's going on in, 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 your op- in the opposition team. At the same time, I, I feel very strongly that that's incomplete information. That is, that is a, maybe an interesting part of the story, um, but it's probably not the whole part of the story. One of the things that I like about data, it's sort of the equivalent of having a scout at every game and every minute and every player being watched, right? To me, the completeness of it, to some extent, um, is, is really important because 
most teams, as, as, as you guys will know, don't watch all of the game, all of the opposition games uh, live. They'll watch two, three uh, games of the opposition, not even necessarily all of them live. Oftentimes on, on video as well. To me, that sort of limits what you can what you can know. Um, and why wouldn't you want to make use of all the information out there? Now, it, it means that you're going to have to commit yourself to um, setting up a, a set of people and processes to, to extract that information from, say, hard data, from, from, from quantitative data. Um, but my question is always, why wouldn't you want to do that? Um, again, if, if, you, if you believe that information is power, then uh, you should use all the information at your disposal. And in terms of the football club specifically, as you mentioned, mm. opposition analysis, there are sometimes two games a week for, for weeks on end. And mm-hmm. And that's a huge drain on, on the time of the analyst of the whole the whole squad, both playing and and the staff that helps that. How do you find the balance can work in terms of preparing for the next match, preparing, debriefing the team with that longer term analysis that perhaps is just as important, is more important, perhaps teams can't find time to do. How would you how would you rank that? How do you think there's a space for that within teams? Should that come externally? How should that be looked at? Well, that's a great question. It's a big question. I think we're at a point in time where there's so much data now available, right? Um, there's a lot of um, wonderful data resources now available to professional teams um, that they need to find a way to process the information, they need to find a way to set up processes um, to make use of that information. Um, I, I don't know that there's a, a best way to do it. Um, if you look at, again, it comes down to how are you set up internally? What is what is the uh, what is the, what are the resources in terms of personnel hours? Right. If you working inside a football club means you never have enough time. Right. One of the th- big things you learn very quickly is that there's not enough time in the day. Uh, time is an absolute luxury. Um, and if that's true, then you you have to find a way to become more efficient. One way to become more efficient is to rely on tools, on on, on insights that other people can generate for you, or things that you can automate. Right. You can either do that externally, you can buy in those automated insights, uh, whatever they might be, whatever tools you think are powerful for you to prepare for a game, or you can try to develop that capacity internally. Now, the truth is to develop it internally probably means hiring somebody else to do it. Uh, so hiring another member of staff in, in, in clubs that can also always, oh, not always, uh, often be seen as a, as a luxury um, and, and just sort of adding to the payroll with an uncertain payoff. Yeah. And um, I think clubs are generally hesitant to do that, especially as we sort of go, go further down in the, the league pyramid, um, even further down into the, sort of the lower runs of the Premier League. Um, staff resources, staff costs are um, something that seem to require more justification than signing another player. And uh, there's always that imbalance between signing another player who might do something good for us uh, and just hiring somebody to actually build the capacity of, of the football department. To the extent that there is real hesitation in, in blowing out the football department with more staff, uh, bigger staff, more people, more skilled people, um, buying it in is one way to solve that problem. Um, now, the trouble with that, with the buying in approach, is that um, it there isn't the same kind of commitment necessarily to making use of those tools. So even if um, I give a club sort of a weekly or game by game 
insight about their up upcoming opposition, about sort of patterns of play, um, whatever it might be, what you know, the, the weakest links in the, in the other side might be, whatever whatever we could do. Um, there's relatively little um, that's required in terms of buy-in on on the part of the club, and um, and oftentimes what get what's hap what happens in those situations is that the tried and true becomes the predominant way of doing things. Uh, I hope I'm not speaking too much in generalities, but I think I think you guys probably understand what I'm trying to say. Um, when, when there's a lot of pressure for people's time, um, the thing that you buy in from the outside becomes less important than the thing that we've always done and the thing that we know how to do. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to drop those things that perhaps have less importance in the immediate future or perhaps seen that way. Especially because we're talking about relatively new things. These are new tools. These are new ways of maybe preparing for a game. So what that means is that the analyst is in a position where they have to educate uh, the rest of the people in the, in, in the club. They may have to educate the manager. They may have to educate other, other analysts around them. Um, and, and who's got time for that, really? Um, so there's, a, there's that pressure, really, um, unless it's an absolute killer insight. Um, that people might say, um, yeah, this may be not today. And Tom, how have you found that from your side in terms of both with those short-term immediate requests to work you've done and perhaps the, the chance you've had particularly to work on more longer-term projects, how you found those benefits that you've been given the time to work on these longer-term projects, what, what impact does that have? How would you see it that way? I definitely feel the more the longer-term projects are trying to extract knowledge from the game and understanding of sort of the key the key trends that say uh, you know you can you can pull from data that stand true across different leagues or different seasons, um, and then the sort of shorter term things are things whereby the clubs or or you know for various clients internally we want to pull together things that they'd like to know that necessarily aren't sort of knowledge but is is insight so to speak over a short shorter period of time, um, understanding over a specific sort of player or team something like that. So I think the the big thing is. Like Chris is saying, you bring in another person to, uh, you know, you want the time of that other person, the resources that they have, and then also fitting into the existing systems. It can be quite difficult to then sort of give them the time to try and extract these insights, either short term or longer term, and then feed them back in. Um, and if these are things where it's very much sort of testing the, uh, the underlying sort of thought processes of the manager, say it's something that he believes in, you look at the data and it says the opposite, then that completely goes against sort of what he's feeding into the team, you know, his, uh, the way he's setting up his team, for example, the players he's signing, things like that. Um, you have the whole bias thing where he will probably, uh, you know, not buy into that because um, it's, you know, questioning his, his knowledge or understanding. I think football versus American sports uh, particularly is, is quite far behind that. In uh, basketball, for example, there was a really nice piece uh, in the ringer fairly recently about I think it was the Houston Rockets uh, and essentially saying in basketball we know roughly say we have 10 things we know about the game eight of them will be true what the managers believe them to be true and sort of the data backs that up as well which is fine teams are trying to find those two out of ten which the managers are still sort of believing in and still uh, working under the pretense of but may not technically be true or, or need sort of more uh, you know deep down understanding from the data in football I think we have maybe one or two out of ten and there's a lot more in this sort of you know things we we uh, sort of knowledge of the game we don't just don't know about yet and so I think it's going to take time for people to slowly a adopt data 
um, B sort of extract more knowledge and understanding about the game and then C implement that into the manager into decisions all around the club so it's the the longer term work that will eventually in, inform that short term thinking and and immediate results in terms of next game and looking at it that way but that'll be underpinned by the longer term more thought out yeah. analysis yeah which I suppose in football is is going to take time because because data's not been available for as long as it has in other sports mm-hmm. so that's just another another challenge that we're that we're faced with on that front yeah and I think also with with sort of football we've only really slowly started to get like a nice sample of data where we can pull out uh, you know those long-standing things from American sports you've had box scores for years and you can have people projecting uh, players from college to professional sports in like a longer term whereas you know in our sport it's, it's, it's you know it's a very short sort of history on the data side of things so you know we're slowly getting to the point now where we have enough understanding and enough data to really sort of question these key assumptions that are you know held by managers and influencers within the game excellent and um, Chris one thing I want to come back to is you spoke about how teams can operate more efficiently and we've heard people speak in the past about um, how businesses approach these problems and how football clubs may approach them and I just wanted to speak about what challenges are perhaps unique within football that perhaps aren't commonplace or perhaps can easily get forgotten in trying to trying to implement these these new ways of thinking, these new processes. Hmm. I'll answer that by sort of tacking on to something Tom was just saying. So if you think about it, there's really two sets of questions that we can try and answer using football data. Uh, one of them is questions that coaches, um, recruitment staff. Uh, people have that they want answered right so it is a tell me who's the best right winger in Syria at this age skate played this many games or whatever right this sort of this practical specific questions people have that they want the answer to um, and then there's there's questions that um, people don't know that they should be asking and and some of those are the ones that Tom was talking about right when you have a rich data set you can start digging around and you can start sleuthing really. You can try to find stuff that people hadn't known, that they hadn't thought about, that could be really, really valuable to them. Um, they wouldn't necessarily, th- coaches or staff wouldn't necessarily think to ask them because they don't have the luxury of time or the skills necessary to dig through the data, right? Most of what we do in football clubs right now has to do with this, the questions, number one, that I just mentioned. Specific questions that people want answered and they're using data tools to answer them. That by itself is a big deal, and we shouldn't sort of underestimate that. We shouldn't make that out to be a small thing. Um, the getting football clubs to do that consistently is a management challenge. Um, getting football clubs to do that as a, as, a, as a natural way of managing football operations, be it on the recruitment side, be it on the match analysis side, or on the, on the fitness side, doing that consistently, as a matter of fact, as part of the orga- organization. That is a management challenge, it's not a data challenge. We have data, coaches have questions, or recruitment staff have questions. We can put those two things together. Whether clubs do that successfully is up to the management of the football club. Then on, sort of aside from that, you've got this sort of these the questions people should be asking that they're not asking um, kind of questions. That, in my mind, is also a management challenge but a very different kind of management challenge that is a challenge where you have where you're trying to turn the football club into an innovative organization 
where there's an openness to doing things differently, to asking questions nobody's thought about. And they might seem like crazy questions, and they might seem like irrelevant questions. Um, and, and yet having that kind of a culture in the club and having the time and luxury and personnel and, and, and executive leadership to drive that kind of a culture um, is far, far away from us at the moment, right? So most of football right now is in that first world. I think eventually we'll have to transition to that second world. When we look at North American sports as a, as a comparison and where it's worked well and where it hasn't worked well, I think what you see is a, is a gradual transition from doing the, the, the transitional, uh, traditional way to a, to a different way. But that hasn't happened uniquely across all of the different sports. Right? The question you can ask is, why is that? Why has it worked in baseball? That is, why do all 30 MLB teams have analytics staff? Why do they all use data in a pretty sophisticated way? Why do many basketball teams now do it? And they're starting to hire more people. The 76ers, just there was a story out about the Philadelphia 76ers, just hiring a whole bunch of uh, analysts. Um, but why haven't we seen it in American football? Uh, there's been a real reluctance, a real resistance in American football. I think some of it has to do with the culture within those games, um, uh, in terms of the kinds of people that are running these organizations. Uh, part of it has to do with the nature of the game itself. So I think association football and American football are games where the, 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 they either have relatively small, se short seasons, so a small sample of games in a season, um, relative to you know 160-some baseball games, you have 38 Premier League matches or, what is it, 16, 18 NFL matches per season. Um, randomness ha plays a big role. Chance plays a bigger role. And the role of data is really to, it, 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 it's harder to use data in, in those environments where randomness plays a bigger role. Okay, now we're getting into some really academic territory, but it's really important to understand that football is a game where randomness plays a big role. Which, what that means for data is that you need, the, the, the real payoff from using data in football comes when you use it consistently and when you use it over longer periods of time. It's not a quick fix, it's never a quick fix. It's actually something you have to make part and parcel of your decision making in the football club and you have to apply it consistently uh, season, year in and year out, season after season after season. When you do that, you will see the payoff from from using data in football clubs. You won't see it any other way. Which means I should probably all subscribe to Opta Data <laughs> for many, many years ago. So um, you touched on it in, in your answer just now about uh, new questions being asked and, and that, uh, that approach. Now, with perhaps many people coming from similar backgrounds within to this sport, is there a perhaps chance we're, we're not expanding the net wide enough to ask, ask these new questions? Are we, are we missing out on these new these new innovations, these new ideas, these new concepts, because we're perhaps closing the pool too early. Well, what we're, what we're kind of saying is if, if we're willing, if we're interested in using uh, data in football, I think what we're kind of saying is we're open to a scientific approach to the game. We're open to asking questions and answering them and you, providing, these, providing these answers with the help of data. So that's really kind of what we're saying. If, if that's what we're saying, then the question is how do you define Football is it is it an athletic endeavor where it's about running around and running faster and harder, or is it a tactical endeavor? Is it kind of like chess? Is it game theory? Is it something that uh, where we have to outsmart the other guy? 
is it a game of, of technical skill, of individual skill, kind of like you know a bunch of Chinese acrobats who, who get drilled and drilled and drilled and doing the same thing over and over again? Is it, is it a group endeavor? Is it, is it a, a kind of thing where teams of people compete with other teams of people? Truth is, it's all of those things, right? It's also, it's also geometry. It's also psychology. It's the, the nice thing about football, the beautiful thing about football, is that you can approach it scientifically from all these different angles. You can think of it as a math problem about space on the pitch, about angles, about triangles, about passing uh, triangles. You can think of it as a social network problem, right? We have passing networks as one of the tools that we use. Um, and that really comes directly out of sociology and how people are interconnected with each other. Um, you can think about it as being about decision-making, human decision-making of individual players, who makes better decisions, quicker decisions, more efficient decisions, right? Trying to figure out which players have the skill to do that quickly uh, under pressure. Um, you can think about, you know, one of the things any of us who've played in a team sport understand that the dynamics within the group are really, really important. We might have the 11 best players uh, out on the field, but we're not working as a team. And there might be a variety of reasons for why that is. There, that directly sort of speaks to questions about, you know, there's, there's a psychology of groups. Um, so the, the great thing about football is that it's everything. It's every social and natural science that you want it to be. If that's true, obviously it's true, it's the physics of how the ball flies, right? I mean, it's everything. The question is, how do you want to approach it? Do you as a football club, do you think about it more about being about teams? Is it more about individual players? Is it more about um, understanding the math, um, whether it's the physics? Um, and that should drive how you use data, the kinds of people that you employ. Um, so there's room, I guess the, 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 the quick answer is there's room for all kinds of different scientific disciplines to have a really positive and productive impact on analytics and football. And clubs have to decide how they want to approach that. Now, most clubs have gone down the route of, at the moment, elevating um, video analysts to sort of de facto analysts in, in the football club. So if you have an analyst, typically it's a video analyst. And there's a historical reason for that. They never used to be video analysts. Um, we had scouts, right? Then we have video analysts because there was a time when we all of a, cut, all of a sudden were able to tape all the games and, and you know, exchange tapes with other, with other teams where we can now watch. And the watching was the second best thing to watching it live. Watching it on tape is the best thing next to watching it live. That sort of was the, the natural evolution of, of having video analysts inside the football club, who then now are in a, a period of transition to becoming more quantitative analysts. That's kind of where we're at. The challenge they have, the challenge video analysts have, is that oftentimes um, they are not they're not really equipped to be quantitative analysts. And while they may be genuinely interested in and curious about data analysis per se, right, sort of data science kinds of stuff, computer science kinds of stuff, statistical kinds of stuff, um, they don't quite know where to begin. And the, there is a kind of conformity of um, backgrounds and a conformity of um, understandings of the game in, in, in set of tasks that they have to uh, follow during, during each week of the season, that it's very difficult to introduce anything new. Um, I think there's a kind of... Um, 
it's great that there isn't this profession now, right, of, of video analysts that didn't used to exist because I think it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to introduce more rigor into um, football clubs. At the same time, um, there, there's a relatively lack of, of diversity of approaches to it. And I think clubs that might, clubs might be sort of, you know, well served to, to expand the, the backgrounds of people that, that they hire. The difficulty is that it's very difficult to find a hardcore physicist who happens to have a real love for the game or some some, some insight into the game. Yeah, I'd agree that that, that football level is, is hard to find, particularly at the, the elite end of the game. And engaging someone with both ends of, of a variety of skills is obviously, um, different people with different skills even, yeah. is definitely a challenge. And um, and something that I'm sure we'll see, we'll see change as, as it goes on forward. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be, uh, we'll be back shortly after this. Welcome back to Three at the Back. So we're going to start this this half of the pod by talking about your academic background, Chris, and and how that's influenced the way you analyse football, the way you perceive football, the way you view football. How has that sort of shaped your your view here? I think the academic background gave me a um, an appreciation for the idea that you can use data to learn something interesting about the world. So this is very very general. It's this idea that when you use you can collect information about what people do, and you can use that information to figure out and predict either forward-looking or explain backward-looking what they do. Um, so my academic background was uh, as a political scientist using public opinion polls, and I, I was interested in understanding how the environment that somebody finds themselves in affects the choices they make in politics. So it could be a social environment, it could be a, a country or a political system they live in, and how it affects uh, what they think about politics, how it affects the choices they make in politics. Wow, so what does that have to do with football? Well, if you think about it, a football player is somebody who has, who's called upon to make decisions in a very particular kind of environment. They're within a certain team environment, they're within a certain league environment, for instance, right? They're within a certain game state, for instance, they play a certain position. So if you think about the decision a player makes on the pitch, it's, it's, a, it's a decision that's meant to optimize something, the performance of it himself or the team, but the player is constrained in a whole bunch of different ways. He's constrained in where he is on the pitch, who else is on the pitch with them, um, who they're playing against, where they're playing, home and away, or which league they're playing in. So in a, in a, in a strange way, my sort of social science background translates relatively easily to the football pitch. Um, and uh, as part of my academic background, of course, I had to take a whole bunch of classes in statistical methods and data analysis and wonderful things like that. I'm not a natural mathematician, but I always sort of liked learning those kinds of tools because they gave me an ability to ask interesting questions about the world. Um, and um, facts are, I think, uh, uh, something that, that I like in part because they give us a basis from which to argue. So um, football is, you know, everyone has an opinion of football, and that's the, one of the great things about the game is that you're allowed to have an opinion. You probably you're supposed to have an opinion about the game, but it's great when we can we can. Uh, base that opinion on something, that we can have a conversation about facts rather than uh, wishful thinking. And that for me was one of the great attractions about using data to analyze football is because we can uh, start from what is, not from what we hope is true. And 
in terms of almost linking this to how you've worked uh, with, te with teams, how, how has the challenge been there in terms of almost your underlying thought processes, your, your background in terms of how you approach this and communicating that to a practitioner, to someone who doesn't have the same shared academic experiences how does how the what's the challenge there? I think the biggest challenge and the most important challenge in any kind of uh, football analysis project is trying to figure out what the actual question is. What is it that you need to know? What is it that you want to know? Um, in statistical terms, we call it the dependent variable. Trying to find out what is it that needs to be explained, what is it that needs to be understood, what is that question specific? So. Uh, you first need to have a really good conversation with somebody. This is, this is not an academic conversation. This is not a statistical conversation. It's a very practical conversation. What do you need to know? What is it you're trying to find out? And everything goes from there. Um, you bring tools to bear to answer that question, but uh, unless you define the question well, you're going to be at sea. Um, you're not going to be, be communicating, and you're not going to be helpful to people. So for me, I always felt like the most important thing was to sit down with somebody and have a conversation. Not about, here are all the great data I can give you, here's all these wonderful statistical tools I can, I can help you with. It's, it's how can I help you? What do you need to know? Um, so it's more like yeah. requirements gathering. Mm -hmm. So understand, yeah, so trying to understand what they want to know versus yeah, here's what I can do. Yeah, and, and oftentimes that just emerges through the conversation. So oftentimes you'll sit down with somebody and they don't necessarily know what they want. They mm -hmm. don't necessarily know what it is they're trying to f figure out unless you have that conversation, unless you have that debate. Um, think about a recruitment analyst. They, they might say, generally speaking, my job is to do diligence players. Or generally my job is to identify players. Um, but that's, that's just sort of a general requirement. That's just a general task. Specifically, what do you need to know? And then you drill down, eventually you come to the point where you might be able to say, I need to know what is the peak age of fullbacks in this division? Or uh, what is, you know, how can we identify the most effective left-footed winger who plays on the right and, and why? Um, and so when you get to these sort of very specific questions. In academic terms, we call them research questions, right? And unless you can figure that out and identify that, you're just going to be sort of rummaging around in the data, and that's not very useful. I think the best thing to do is spend more time on figuring out the, qu the, the question than it is to figure out the answer. Because once you know what the question is, everything else kind of follows. So is it not therefore sort of, you know, we speak about the big whole data revolution in football and, and clubs doing things better. Is it the onus not therefore on putting in better processes than not just using data or using the data better? Is it that, you know, the way that we're trying to answer questions is not right versus, you know, how we're answering them at this moment in time? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I think it's really, really important to understand that actually analysis isn't really a data challenge. Yeah. It isn't really a, a challenge of, of obtaining data. It isn't really a challenge of running data. Or, uh, I mean, ca you know, doing, doing uh, calculations. It isn't a challenge of how big your hard drive is at all. It's actually a, a human challenge, right? It's a, it's a management challenge inside of a football club. It's a human challenge in, in the way that I just described it, where we need to sit down and have a conversation about 
Um, what, do you, what do we need to know and how can I help you figuring that out? And then within the football club, setting up a process where you have somebody whose job it is to figure out the answers to these questions, where that somebody is heard and has a role to play in the decision-making process. It's really about trying to figure out from a management perspective, if you're a sporting director or a general manager in American terms, you're trying to figure out really what are the key decisions we need to make in the football club. Let's isolate what those are. Football clubs make all kinds of decisions all day long. Everyone in the, in the club makes decisions about who trains today, who doesn't train today, um, uh, what kinds of things are we going to do on, on the pitch today, um, who are we looking to sign next window. There's a number of decisions that get made all the time. I think the, the job for a football department is to figure out what are the key decisions, what are the key routine decisions that we make, and how can we bring the best information to bear on those decisions. Um, and what exactly those decisions are specifically varies uh, for every club. So I imagine that uh, for Burnley Football Club, um, just to use an example, um, they are more concerned about getting value for money than some other football clubs might be. And if it's about getting value for money, then you might um, define your question at hand differently. They might also, certain clubs and certain coaches might have a, um, a predilection for working with certain kinds of players, older, younger, from abroad, not from abroad, certain backgrounds in terms of league experience, whatever it might be, right? So this varies quite a bit, but I think ultimately the, 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 the big issue is um, be really sort of conscious about what is it that we need to get right? And are we using our people, are we using the tools that we give our people in the best way to get those decisions right? It's not about getting every decision right. It's football, right? You won't ever get any, every decision right. It's really about shading the odds in your favor and doing that cumulatively over time and doing it with regard to every important department. When you do that, then over time, you will win more, um, more systematically. So... You spoke about there how the need to drill down to a specific question to understand what it is you want to know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned earlier about in your academic world with drilling down a research question. So it sort of falls in a nice cycle there. And so I suppose does your, does your academic background set you up nicely to have those conversations and to get those answers that are needed for, to, to address these issues? I think so. I think, but you need a certain, you need a, an applied mindset for one, and you need uh, on the part of the sort of the, the the analytical person. But you also need a an openness um, on on the other side. So let me explain what I mean by that. In, in science, we differentiate between basic and applied research. So there are some people who try to figure out how the universe works in very basic terms. Uh, is are there black holes or not? Right. What is gravity? Um, basic concepts uh, that we need to understand to understand the world around us. And then there are people who use those ideas and try to apply them to specific issues. How to build a bridge. Um, you know, how to heal people and make them, or make them healthy. Um, the, the applied part is derived from the basic stuff. Academic backgrounds can be helpful if the people with the academic background have an applied mindset. They need to be willing to engage in an applied conversation and say, right, how can I help you build a bridge? How can I help you um, make this player healthy uh, or this team healthy? In fact, you can even almost think about it. 
um, as uh, you can oftentimes think of a team as 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 a patient and and the people um, <laughs> who are trying to be helpful with analysis as the GP you need to be willing to listen to the patient and try to figure out and identify what's what's wrong with them it's not helpful to you when you know when you have a great basic background about how the brain works or what makes the heart function you need to understand specifically what ails this patient um, and that that engagement with the patient, that engagement with people inside of the football club is a really, really important part of it. Um, otherwise, it doesn't work. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings on both sides about how this can work productively. And did moving or doubling up, in terms of you went from academic and then you started blogging from a football perspective, did that allow you to showcase the practical side and answer a few more practical questions perhaps with in an easier way than it would be if you approached it from the traditional academic stance. Yeah, I think um, what's nice about uh, for me, what was nice for me about having a blog was I could just sort of identify the research questions myself, right? I could pretend I was a club and I wanted to know: is it productive to play this way or that way? Is it productive, or is it is, is it is it are certain leagues different from other leagues? For instance, um, are certain kinds of players different from other kinds of players? Um, I think the the term academic has a, has a bit of a bad name, um, and it shouldn't, if, if used in the right way, academic backgrounds can be very useful for solving applied problems. Um, I think what doesn't work is if, if you've got people who think that because they have academic backgrounds, they have better technical skills, they know it all, right? Um, that really doesn't work. You have to put yourself in the, in the service of the organization. You have to be willing to respect um, the task that somebody set within a club to find oftentimes um, very acute, very specific solutions to problems. Um, unless you're willing and able to do that, then all of your academic background really doesn't matter. So it's a real real challenge perhaps to, to integrate yourself within that unique environment that is each, each team, each professional club. I think it takes time. I think it takes, I mean, football clubs, as I said earlier in, in, in our conversation, are very small businesses, right? So we're, we're a lot of people, um, football clubs work on trust. There's, there's, there's small environments. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone's business. People work together um, under a lot of pressure, oftentimes a lot of time pressure, oftentimes physically in close proximity. They, they, are, they are people businesses. And so it's a very human interaction. It's a very personal, thing um, having technical skills is irrelevant if you can't, can't work with other people if you can't understand other people's needs and that's really what I'm trying to get across I think analytics groups or departments environments work really really well when people work well together as a team and when they understand each other and what uh, understand each other's sort of limits and under, understand each other's needs um, and uh, and, th and those needs are driven from above, right? I think there's, there's oftentimes an assignment to do a certain, to do a certain job. Um, and if you don't do it together as a group, it's not going to work very well. Excellent. And I'd like to come on now to, um, to both the OptiPro Forum um, and the Sloan Athletics Conference, which you've, you've sat on the panel for right. twice. Is that, is that right? Yeah, a couple, at least a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so you've seen sort of the applied sports analytics world across... Across both both continents, across different sports, what similarities do you notice? What differences do you do you notice in in the approach to to this this field? 
So the Sloan Conference, um, uh, just to kind of recap and explain this for people, was a sort of a geeky conference, uh, a group of people interested in, in data analytics and sports uh, originally a number of years ago. It started at MIT, one of the great technical universities in the US. Um, and it was sort of like an OptiPro forum, really. It was a small group of people, a small group of uh, uh, people both from industry and, and the academic world trying to get together and try to figure out if there's real value in taking a more data-driven approach to understanding sports. And, and obviously we know that it's sort of uh, early on, uh, baseball and basketball were, were sports that were high on the agenda at, at the Sloan Conference. That Sloan, over the years, though, has sort of morphed from being a kind of geeky get-together to a business, sports business conference, as yeah. a sports business and management conference. It's become quite a big event. Um, see a lot more people in suits now than you ever used to. Um, people running around with their resumes in their hands and looking, looking for a job and, 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 and big names in, in all, across all the American sports being represented. And it's, it's quite a big production. Um, and that's great, as in it's one of those places where this real cross-fertilization across the big sports. So you, you have baseball, basketball, American football, ice hockey, and now other sports as well, like, like sailing, tennis, golf, what have you, right? Um, car racing. And what's interesting about it today is that you learn, you can, you can go into sort of the, the discussions about the different kinds of sports and learn something new or some, be inspired about something that people might be doing in one sport that could perhaps translate into your sport, say football. What um, what the OptiPro Forum does, I think, really well, and what I really like about it is that there's still this um, commitment to, let's see if we can learn something new about, about the game that we love uh, from data, and let's see if we can find a way to not only extract interesting information, but also then communicate it to a professional audience, uh, people, people in clubs, and see if it can be made useful to them. And that, you know, compared to, to the Sloan Conference, which I think has had like 3,000 attendees last time around, which is a, 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 a massive show, really, um, and a massive event, uh, the Opera Perform allows you to have the more sort of focused, specific, in-depth conversation where you can bring together sort of the maybe the geekier element of the football analysis community with the more applied and practical element, which I think can be very productive. And you've judged at the, at the, at the Pro Forum, you've judged the proposals we've had. What did you, how did you approach it? What questions did you think or what proposals did you think, yeah, this is, this is really important, this, this strikes a chord, this, this will be perfectly implemented in the club. What, do you, what did you look for? I know you wrote a really, really helpful article a couple of years back on and the importance of being concise, um, but what, how did you approach judging forums? I think I, I, um, I try to be mindful of and respectful of the fact that it's meant to be helpful in an applied setting, as we were sort of talking about before. So for me, the question was always, is this going to help somebody make better decisions in a club or reach better conclusions in a club? For me, that was always the starting point. Can I see taking this insight to a practical application? Um, and then you're looking for a combination of do the, do the people who submitted these proposals uh, have a good technical um, background to, to, in order to be able to actually execute on the proposal? Are they able 
to understand the limitations of the data of themselves uh, within the time frame. Uh, sometimes you, you see proposals where people say, I'll explain football, I'll explain the world, I'll explain <laughs> everything that ever was in football. And you tend to be a little bit more skeptical about that than the more specific recent ones where you sort of say, here's a specific applied question, here's some data that I'm going to use to answer that question, here's how I'm going to go about uh, getting from A to B, and there you go. Um, uh, to me, those are the, the most compelling ones. And, and I'd say that probably doesn't extend to forum proposals. I imagine that extends to, to work both, both perhaps more privately, both blog side of things, um, in different areas, different sports as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's the, the whole, I mean, one of the biggest takeaways is to make sure if you want to get your work sort of across and, and get it uh, understood is something that Dean Oliver uh, really hit home last year at the forum. He was the guest speaker, was um, you know, speaking the same language as uh, the person you're trying to you're trying to sort of sell the analysis on, or, or you know, get to understand the work you're doing, um, and yeah, sort of drilling down to a, a specific question can be really helpful in the work that myself and, and Sam and Johannes do, and no doubt various other analysts that will listen to this podcast know that you know it, when you're trying to answer a very general question, it's you know you can get lost in the data, as, as Chris is saying, you know it's very hard to sort of find what you're actually looking for because you actually don't specifically know what you are looking for, so. Yeah, being being specific and saying right, I want to answer this one specific thing about corners and and you know, or uh, set pieces or you know any aspects of the game. It's better to be specific than than extremely general uh, in that situation. And and linking back to Dean and and almost back to Sloan, you spoke about different sports being there, Chris. Um, how do you find learning from other sports? What's going on in other sports? What how do you find that that experience? I find it really stimulating, actually. I think one of the interesting things about going to a conference where a number of sports are represented is that you see the similarities um, and the challenges, the similar challenges that a lot of people face in this environment. Um, I think the challenge to, to win games, the, the time pressure, um, the, the need to communicate effectively, I think it's, that, that's actually a big one across the sports. Um, Oftentimes, you may have a really interesting insight that's derived from some kind of data analysis, but if, you're, if you can't get it across, if you can't find a way to make it compelling um, in, in the language that coaches speak or um, football people speak, then you might as well not have had the insight uh, because it's just uh, not going to be useful. Um, so those kinds of challenges are quite similar across. One of the interesting things that trends that I've uh, noticed or that you, are obvious in, in North American sports is that a lot of the analytical capabilities um, have moved from the blogosphere uh, in-house, right? So they've moved from public forums where people have been public bloggers and then have been hired by teams. So it happened a lot in baseball early on. It's also happened in basketball. One of the interesting questions for me is whether the same thing will happen in football. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure at this point. Um, I think there's there's a reason for why that's happened in American sports. Uh, I'm not entirely sure yet, really. Honestly, I think it's an open question whether that is going to happen in football or to what extent it's going to happen in football. I think to the extent that football clubs have more and more data now, more you know, com computers are you know, everyone's got a computer and everyone's uh, using it. Um, there's more of an infrastructure inside football clubs now to do this sort of thing. But whether that necessarily means the football clubs are going to hire lots and lots of people who know how to code in Python, uh, I'm much less convinced by it. Yeah, I think that's a challenge. I think we've seen a lot of people who have done public work go into work with teams at either a part-time level or a full-time role. But um, 
yeah, I think that's definitely an area that I know more teams will be will be looking at and considering, and whether that's a route to go they go down, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see in the future. That's all we've got time for today. So thank you very much for for listening. Thank you very much, Chris. Um, really appreciate having you on. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Tom. No worries. And thank you very much for listening.